Welcome back to the Resilience Pod. You're here with me, your host, Rena Singh. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm truly grateful. Today's episode is all about how to prepare for the worst day of your career with my next guest on the pod, who has over 25 years experience as a crisis management consultant, providing consultancy to world-leading companies, organizations, and brands. Wow. He is also coached, trained, and rehearsed senior execs in North America, Europe, the Middle East, and Asia, as well as offering crisis counsel to international clients. Along with this impressive repertoire, he's also driven by the desire not just to protect business value and reputation, but also to end the needless damage caused to lives and livelihoods as a result of mishandled crisis very relevant to today's topic. So guys, please join me in welcoming my next guest on the Resilience Pod, Crisis Management Consultant and Managing Director of Insignia, a specialist crisis management consultancy, Jonathan Kemas. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Hi, Rena. I'm really well. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I hope I live up to expectations. <laughs> You're welcome, and you definitely will. How are you today? Really good, thank you. Yeah, it's been a good day today. I think as a business, we're just starting to see the green shoots of recovery, and I'm really pleased. You mentioned in the introduction, I am driven by a passion to help organizations prevent the needless damage of a crisis and I think right right now having well certainly got maybe towards the end of the beginning of this particular crisis it's really important that organizations do take time now to review what they've done and prepare for the next crisis that that might be around the corner so I'm pleased to see that you know organizations are beginning to do that again. Mm, it's very relevant and hard hard time and I think this topic that we're going to talk about on how to prepare for the worst day of our career or your career is very relevant but before we kind of go into that and you explain your insights into Mm -hmm. it looking at it in terms of you know taking a step back in the context of it but how does that how do we comprehend that like what does it mean how to prepare for the worst day of your career well I guess you know, looking back on those 25 years plus in crisis management, maybe in the first years of my career, I was constantly amazed at how big, successful organisations led and populated by really smart, uh, experienced, intelligent individuals continued to get their crisis response wrong time after time. Not every organization, of course, but we've seen, you know, really highly respected, large, successful businesses over the, even over the last decade, if we think about BP and VW and Boeing, these are all highly respected, successful, really admired organizations run by smart people. So, yeah, why is it that they get it wrong? And 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 I guess there are things within a crisis that when you analyze it and when I kind of look behind the crisis room door with some of the organizations that I've observed or worked with over the years and there are very real reasons why it is the worst day of your career and why perhaps um, it is understandable that uh, people within those organizations fail so 
I think there are there are two categories of reasons why why people fail. Um, one is simply that they are facing a literally extraordinary challenge. This is something that you hope to encounter no more than two or three times during your career. Some people will be fortunate enough never to encounter a really major crisis. So a crisis always brings with it uncertainty, lack of information. Um, that's tough to deal with. There is always time pressure People want answers. People want the problem sorting now, if not if not sooner. That makes it an extraordinary challenge. And of course, the icing on the cake or the anti-icing on the cake is that the stakes are incredibly high. Beginning, of course, potentially with people's lives and livelihoods, but also, you know, the value of a business, the reputation of a business and the personal impact on, on, on the people involved in responding to that situation is enormous. We've seen many people lose their personal reputations and their careers as a result of a mishandled crisis. So if we think about the pressure and the challenge, we start to understand uh, why people don't always succeed in responding well. And then the second category that I think explains why smart people in successful businesses sometimes don't rise to the challenge of a crisis is that you have to overcome that challenge sometimes despite inadequate plans, inadequate ways of working. So maybe the plan hasn't been reviewed as recently as it should have been. Maybe there isn't even a plan in this particular organisation. Secondly, you don't have the right or sufficient resource. You suddenly find out that the capabilities and tools you need simply don't exist or don't don't work. Then you find out that you don't have the capability or skills that you need because the skills that are required in business as usual are not directly transferable to a crisis. And then you find that you don't have the confidence to do and say the right things because perhaps you haven't practiced your crisis response. So that enormous challenge against those hurdles and those those gaps and those flaws that you bring to responding to that situation, suddenly it becomes uh, uh, more understandable as to why smart people don't okay. always deliver a really successful crisis response. Wow, and it's that's huge. It's like it's like the old saying goes: like takes years to build reputation, reputation, yeah. and then like seconds for it to, you know, get tarnished. And it's something that's often overlooked by many people, not just executives. And when you think about a crisis, you always think, "Well, exec's going to deal with that," but yeah. actually, um, it, it really applies to all of us entirely, and maybe large, small scales. So that's a lot to, lot to think about in terms of. In, in terms of this it's really given me a lot of insights <laughs> good <laughs> so our listeners will be thinking wow okay um so now that we've got a bit of a an idea about you know the, the a crisis and yeah. you know why that causes so many businesses and people to fail in that response what would you say are the the say the top three most common crisis management pitfalls that we should be avoiding the first one, I think, um, which again is really as a result of this extraordinary pressure, is teams of people and or individuals taking action 
before thinking because of the you know the emotion the pressure the stress you know the amygdala part of the of the brain lights up and we get back into fight flight freeze mode and people with the best of intentions start doing things but doing things without having done any thinking beforehand um I say it's understandable, but the key, well, there are many keys to good crisis management, but one of the one of the really important keys is thinking before acting. Just because it's a crisis doesn't mean that the principles of good good management, good general management go out of the window and one would never begin to do anything without doing a little bit of planning and thinking before leaping to action so um thinking before acting not for too long but thinking before acting is the antidote to simply leaping to action and maybe the wrong actions uh, at the beginning second uh second pitfall or uh, syndrome to be aware of is roles and responsibilities being unclear the reason why this is so damaging is because we I've talked already about how in a crisis time is tight and resources are tight. Under that situation, you cannot afford to not make the best possible use of the resources at your disposal. And so if roles and responsibilities are unclear or fuzzy, you either have doubling up duplication of effort which is you know unforgivable at a time when you need everyone doing the right things or you have um, key areas being missed because no one has been assigned to that particular role or responsibility or worst of all you have two people doing conflicting things within the team when I talk about people when I talk about roles and responsibilities I can't mean that in two ways really firstly within the team of people directly responsible for managing the crisis it's critical to have individual roles and responsibilities crystal clear and reconfirmed when that team assembles the other thing i mean by roles and responsibilities being clear is at an organizational level so in order to make best pro Best, best progress your listeners will know that you know we need to have for example the leadership team at a kind of corporate level doing the right things and then those on the ground maybe in a particular division or a particular country or a particular office for them to be doing the right things and if there's uh, if there's a lack of clarity and fuzziness around what corporate head office is supposed to be doing and what the local team at the local office is supposed to be doing, again, you either get confusion or duplication, or you get head office trampling all over the local team and actually stopping them getting on with dealing with the situation. So both from an individual team member point of view and from an organisational point of view, if you want to make the best progress in the quickest possible time, having roles and responsibilities clear are, is a really, really important priority. 
The third um, pitfall to avoid, and well, all three are important. I was going to say it's the most important. It's certainly, again, very high up on, on the list. Decisions are made too late or not at all. Um, Decision-making in a crisis is the crux of successful crisis management. Um, but again, because of the pressure and because of the high stakes, you often observe teams of people failing to make decisions until it's too late or even not at all. And some of the particular things to be aware of um, to avoid this syndrome or to spot it uh, again beginning to occur is a temptation to want more and more and more and more information before making a decision. And what of often happens is you get that next piece of information that you wanted and then you just want the next piece of information. And so consequently, the decision may never get made because we're always waiting for that next piece of certainty or information or fact that we believe will make our decision easier. By the time you have all of the information that you would have liked, the crisis is probably over. It's too late. So um, it's important, more than important, it is vital that crisis management teams and particularly their leaders become comfortable with the idea that um, there are no obviously good and bad decisions in a crisis. If, if there were, it would be a lot easier and everybody would get crisis management right. All you can do is make the best decision you can with the information you have at that time, guided by your values and guided by your strategy, much better to make a considered decision early and then potentially change course later on than wait and wait and wait, in which case you will lose all control of the situation. Wow, some gold dust information you have just shared with us. <laughs> so fantastic. <laughs> and just to recap on what you said, uh, very briefly, yep. you know, we need to think first <laughs> before jumping in, have yep. clear defined roles and responsibilities and make sure, well, you know, and the one of the pitfalls is that, you know, decisions aren't made um, or made too late. And yep. I mean, that's just a very, very high level of what you've just said, but it's, it's not new, like guys, if you're listening, this isn't like, no. it's not going to be a, you're going to listen to it and think, oh my gosh, I never knew that. Actually, these are things that are known, but we kind of, sometimes we often overlook and we don't realise. Absolutely. And, you know, I have the privilege of working with uh, many organisations, given the role that, that, that I play. And so if anyone, you know, listening to this podcast is thinking, you know, Am I the only one who's experiencing the fact that my team takes too long to make decisions? No, genuinely, the three things that I've talked about are very common flaws. And and by the way, sometimes they are flaws that are not exhibited within exercising. But when the pressure is on for real, then it all of a sudden uh, becomes very real and 
you may find people hesitating, for example, around making decisions. And I know you have a lot of, you know, crisis uh, uh, leaders and business continuity professionals on, on the call. I think it is one of our roles and responsibilities to um, help uh, our crisis management team members to make those decisions and to stay true to what they have learned through their training and, and exercising when the chips are really down. So, yes, these are things that uh, have been said before, but I promise you they are real behaviours that I see time and time again. Um, you know, impressive and really good to kind of get an, another awareness of that. So thank you for sharing those top three things. I mean, there's probably hundreds of those from, from your yeah. experiences. <laughs> those are the, like, you know, good things to kind of go by, which kind of leads me into my next question about, you know, the most important things that you then must do to succeed with the crisis response. So what yeah. would be your top three for that? So I guess the first one, um, is the antidote to the first one on the previous list. The first one on the previous yeah. list is people acting before thinking. Mm -hmm. So the first most important thing that you must do in order to succeed with your crisis response is to have a clearly defined strategic intent. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is it's really important that the team articulates what it is that they are seeking to achieve through their crisis management response. Another way of looking at that is in three months, six months, 12 months time, how do we want to look back on this situation? What do we want to be able to say? What will be the benchmark against which we will determine whether we have been successful in managing this crisis or not and by having you know an articulation of your strategic intent what success looks like written down you know on your whiteboard or on your online system however you're managing it that everybody throughout the team from the strategic level right down to the tactical level is aware of and understands takes away a lot of the um, confusion, misunderstanding and lack of direction. It's also very helpful, you know, when I talked in the previous list of, you know, people not making or making decisions too late. One of the things that having a clear strategic intent does is it gives you uh, a benchmark against which you can evaluate decisions. So in other words, if you need to decide metaphorically, do we turn left or do we turn right? We look at where left and right will take us and we compare that with our strategic intent, which is our desired destination. Okay, in this situation, if we turn left, we are much more likely to, to reach our strategic intent than if we turn, than if we turn right. Um, so it helps with decision-making. It also helps. Um, it also helps to keep the team aligned and pointing in the same same direction. So, I would say, again, particularly with inexperienced crisis management teams, they frequently um, fail to set strategic intent. But those teams that do set it, they're much more purposeful in the way that they work, and they make much quicker and more effective uh, progress. Second one, um, second one, which is a little bit more 
tactical, but equally important. Um, sadly, there have been a number of occasions when I have um, sat in on meetings, uh, particularly again within um, perhaps exercises for inexperienced crisis management teams where they've been running their crisis management team meeting and it may go on for an hour and a half, hour and three quarters. You will observe various characteristics, for example, where eight people are talking at once or maybe only one person is talking, where we have wide ranging discussions, where there's a great long debate and discussion about one particular point, where maybe we have the leadership team um, um, deliberating over whether there should be a comma in the press release or a semicolon. All of these things I have observed. Again, I come back to the point or the points I was talking about at the start of this uh, discussion. Time is tight in a crisis. There's a lot on the line. Your meetings, and here is the most, the second most important thing you must do to succeed. You must run purposeful meetings. I'd love people to run purposeful meetings in business as usual, and there's real benefit in doing that. But there's certainly a critical requirement to do so in a crisis. So having a standing agenda, having a chair of the team who is proficient and skilled and diplomatic in keeping their team to that agenda, having a team of people who are respectful of each other's opinions and respectful of the time available and who keep their inputs crisp, and having a structure for that meeting which is focused on reviewing what the current situation is, deciding what we need to do, making those big decisions, and then acting on it and being very clear that we have reached a decision and assigned an action to such and such a person to be done by such and such a time. It's only by having those really purposeful meetings again that you can achieve the progress that you need to make in a crisis. So the second thing is running purposeful meetings. The third uh, and final most important thing you must do to succeed is scenario planning during the crisis. Again, a very common uh, flaw within either inexperienced or unsuccessful crisis management teams is simply reacting to the crisis, following it and responding to whatever happens next. And as a consequence, you are chasing the crisis rather than managing the crisis. Scenario planning is the antidote to a reactive crisis management response. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, you know, get two or three people locked away in a separate room, or indeed, I keep saying a separate room, I have to keep remembering that at the moment no one's in a room, certainly not together, but a group of two or three people virtually um, looking at how could this situation that we're facing now get worse? Where might this go to? What is the worst case scenario? What are the potential developments? And there's a phrase that uh, I like to apply to the people that you might select for this job within your own organization. Look for the creative pessimists. Okay. If you can <laughs> if you if you can identify your most creative pessimists, 
They are the people to form your scenario planning team. They then come back to the team and say, we can see this situation in a worst case scenario going to here. We can imagine these things happening next. That then gives, gives the team clearly the ability to take steps now to either prevent those worst case scenarios from happening or as a minimum, being prepared to respond to them if they do occur. And that's a fantastic antidote to the reactive approach. Again, scenario planning is not something unknown to your listeners, but I do uh, frequently observe it being underutilized by crisis management teams under pressure. Wow. I mean, just picking up on that last point about the creative pessimists. Yeah. I don't work for a few organizations we've never done that I've never known to do that um so this is really a golden tip to actually think about doing that in the first place um yeah is is really key so some really good points you've you've mentioned here and I've just been smiling the whole time because it's just <laughs> <they're> like <laughs> golden nuggets that we need to soak up and actually for the listeners you know just reflect on your own organizations and what your own crisis management team has been doing have they you know have they had a clear defined strategic intent you know like this when you were saying that I was thinking about the business continuity objective like you know we can't recover everything so you need to have an objective exactly it's exactly like that isn't it Exactly. But I mean, prioritization for me is one of the, um, again, one of the other keys to success in a crisis, because you can't do everything, you don't have the resource or the capability to deal with everything. Prioritization is so important. You're so right, Rena. That is another of the reasons why strategic intent is so important, because if you've got a strategic intent and you've got 50 things or 5000 things that you could do, but you haven't got the resource to do it, which of these things is going to have the biggest impact on the achievement of the strategic intent? All of a sudden, again, your prioritization becomes a little bit easier than it would otherwise be. Indeed. And it just all these points kind of, they nicely tie into each other about, especially the, the purposeful meetings. And I, yeah, yeah. I do like you wish that we could do that all the time. <laughs> It would be lovely. And, and it, it is it is one of the byproducts as well, I would say, actually, of um, crisis management training and exercising. And, yeah. you know, sometimes, uh, you know, and I, I know your uh, your listeners, again, will have experienced this. You will get leaders within businesses saying, look, we haven't got time to, to, to do crisis management training and planning. Other things are more important. You know, hopefully we, we actually won't have a crisis. But, you know, the experience of running a purposeful meeting can be applied to business as usual as well. So there are spin-off benefits from doing your crisis management training and exercising, which go beyond handling a crisis well and have real benefit uh, for business as usual. So, so true. And it, it just gives me a flashback to this book, notebook that I saw in a store. Um, it said, you know, this this meeting could have been an email. <laughs> <laughs> Quite. And um, yeah. I remember I've got like a, I had a little joke with um, a colleague of mine who would see each other when we were when the time when we were in the office and we'd be going from meeting to meeting. And I'd be like, I should have got you that book, that notebook. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I might need to get a stock of those for some of the people I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if anyone knows where to get one, you know, let me know. <laughs> <laughs>
but yeah, some great points you've mentioned here. Um, and I love how it ties into the, the most common pitfalls too, because it gives you the solutions, which is yeah. really, really great. Now, the, the finale um, and the question we're all really like on our edge to know about is how then do we prepare to survive the worst day of our career? So, Rena, again, I've tried to stick to the threes. We've had uh, three threes. Again, I could happily talk about personal preparation for the next hour and a half, but I know your podcast isn't designed to be uh, two hours long. So here are my, here are my three um, tips for personal preparation. And I think the first one, I would imagine, again, that most of your listeners, they will tick this box straight away. But I think it's so important. It is know your crisis management plan and be 100% confident in the requirements of your role and ensure that critical colleagues understand your role too. So when that day happens, when that worst day of your career happens, um, you will be playing a critical role in the survival of your business, maybe the health and safety of people affected by this uh, by this situation. And, you know, you will be guiding often your leadership team through extremely stormy waters. You need to make sure that on that day when you are on parade, that you can deliver the most value possible and also be a reassuring, calming helpful voice within that group of people and that begins with knowing the plan inside out because you can sadly bet your bottom dollar that not everyone on that team will know the plan as well as you do and for you to be confident and assured in your role will breed confidence amongst the rest of the team and also help to guide them through some of the pitfalls that I mentioned before and help to make sure they stay true to some of the keys to success that I talked through. So um, being a real paragon of virtue in terms of knowing your plan and being confident in your role is the first thing, I think, in terms of personal preparation. The second one, I think, clearly links in with the first one, but it's slightly different. Um, but it's at least equally important. And again, I bet many of the people listening are doing this naturally anyway. It is to build relationships and credibility with critical stakeholders within your organization or with whom you're working beforehand. Um, you want to have the trust and respect of your leaders and for them to know who you are and for them to be confident that you understand the business inside out and that you will be playing a critical role when the crisis strikes. You want to be seen as a trusted advisor and you can only be seen as a trusted advisor in a crisis if you have taken the time beforehand to really build relationships and get to know the key people. Clearly, you know, the C-suite, that's important. You know, your, 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 your general counsel, your, your legal director is someone that you need to get to know, your head of communications. Uh, I, I think, as I say, building that trust, building that respect with those 
critical stakeholders will enable you to be so much more effective when the crisis um, when the crisis occurs. And then the third and final area of personal preparation um, is, I think, um, to do your own personal scenario planning as to um, how you will respond to things going wrong within the crisis management team. So let's be honest, when the crisis happens, if you're head of business continuity, or if you're head of crisis management or whatever the role is within the business, you're the person responsible for crisis management, a lot of eyes are going to uh, turn towards you when the crisis happens. And they're going to be saying, is all that training and planning that, that, that we've done, is it actually going to pay off? And is Janet or is, is Bob going to uh, uh, rise to the challenge and help help lead us through this situation. And I think in order for you to be able to confidently uh, be thinking in your own head, absolutely, it's a really good idea for you to do your own personal scenario planning around, ahead of time, around what could go wrong in terms of, I don't mean the crisis itself, I mean, what could go wrong within the crisis management team and what could go wrong within our, our response? What's the worst that could that could happen and plan beforehand. How can I prevent that happening? What can I do now to make sure that our team won't make those mistakes or that character won't sabotage what's what's going on? And then also, how can I prepare for that if that does happen? It could be a technical thing. You know, what happens if our, you know, our, our IT goes down and we have no means of communicating as a crisis management team or operating virtually what can I do now to prepare for that eventuality so that the team can continue to work if all of the systems go down? And then again, how would I respond to it if despite my best efforts, I can't prevent uh, or, or, pre or prepare for that situation? So I think simply by you working through in your own head how the crisis management response will play out and what role you might be able to play in terms of reducing the downside risk and being ready to deal with it if it occurs, again, will give you greater confidence and the ability to succeed when the balloon goes up. Wow, that was um, some amazing tips there, Jonathan. Thank you. Um, when you were saying, particularly the last point about you know what could go wrong for you i just got flashbacks of um <laughs> you have a cold shiver going down your spine rena <laughs> oh, it wasn't so much that but it was just you know i've done i've actually done this um and not really thought about it so when you were saying that the first two tips i was like oh i never really never really done this and then i was reflecting as you were speaking yeah in other roles that i've done and especially um in quite when i've you know in in a previous life i had to train a crisis management team and getting to know like what what's gonna like, my reputation intact like you know if someone's gonna yeah you know rise up to that challenge and what i've done and yeah i mean i remember helping out the chair of the crisis management team you know giving them clues so they they, they helped up their you know, the, the best dance of reputation in front of everybody else because everybody was neutral. Yeah. But as a chair of a crisis management team, that's a whole different pressure as well when you've not been able to do it. So it's, I think, just without knowing, I've actually done some of these things. It's really refreshing to hear that from, 
you know, an expert like yourself who's had so much experience doing this on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it does. Uh, for, for many people, it, it, it comes naturally um that particularly you know the building of the of the the relationships and also the scenario planning but i just think um you know a crisis is as we know for an organization opportunity and threat Mm -hmm. for those of us who are crisis management professionals it brings personal opportunity and threat it's a personal opportunity to do great service to your organization and also to shine as an individual it's also a threat as i say if the whole thing uh, happens to fall apart. So I think it is incumbent upon us to do that personal preparation and planning beforehand to make sure that you are able to do uh, best service to your organisation on that worst day of its corporate history. Yep, indeed. And hence being, you know, how to survive and prepare for the worst day of your career with your reputation intact. And you've just given us, you've hit the nail on the head there and told us um, you know exactly how to do that <laughs> great so thank you for that I mean I just this this time has flown by and I feel like I could we could just sit here and talk more about this so um but maybe hey and maybe another time but I absolutely I love I love talking about this stuff Rena. so anytime <laughs> absolutely as you can tell <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you know thank you so much for sharing your your golden nuggets of you know wisdom on this it's you know so succinct and you know so valuable to it's been so valuable to me and I know it's going to be valuable to all the listeners um, you know who who reached this so thank you once again now if people want to kind of touch base with you or find out more how, how can they find you and where yeah a couple of ways really uh, I'm fortunate I think in having an unusual name so if you look for me on LinkedIn it's Jonathan Hemus there is only one as far as I'm aware so you will quickly find me on LinkedIn. If you want to take a look at our company website, we are insigniacrisis.com. Fantastic. Guys, it's it's not every day that you get open invitation to to contact, you know, someone in our resilience industry and, and you know, especially someone like Jonathan who is very busy um, and, and doing these kind of things. So if you are interested, then do get in touch with him. Jonathan, thank you once again for, you know, coming on the pod and sharing your insights on this. Thank you, Rena. It's been an absolute pleasure. Indeed it has. Thank you. And most importantly, also thank you to all of you who have been listening. I hope you have found it valuable as much as I have. You know, if you've liked it, then don't forget to share subscribe via the resiliencepod.com website and you know just let everybody know about it because you know hey sharing is caring after all and that's what the resilience pod is all about you know guys if you also want to take the opportunity to come on the resilience pod and you've got something insightful to share that will help us in the resilience industry then do get in touch with me via the resiliencepod.com website that's it from me your host rena singh until next time keep on investing in your resilience